Thanks so much, worship team. And uh, we miss being with you, Meadowbrook. This is not our favorite way of doing church on a Sunday morning, but we are glad that we are living in a time when we can connect in this way. Uh, it is not ideal, but it is what we have, and we are excited that worship is still happening, the Word of God is still happening, communion is still happening as we continue to journey through 2021 together. So Psalm 91, and next Sunday we'll be starting a new series uh, that we've called Apocalypse Now. We're going to jump into the book of Revelation, and we're just going to start in Revelation chapter chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to start marching through, and we don't have a real set game plan on how far we'll get. We're just going to start moving, and we're holding our plans lightly these days, but the plan is to dig into the book of Revelation, and the word apocalypse has come to mean uh, disaster, catastrophe, end times, but the word apocalypse biblically just means revelation, and so we're not jumping into this series because we necessarily feel like the world is falling apart right now, and this is it. It could be that, but the word apocalypse just means revelation, and the book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ, and so we want to just dig into that book and spend some time there. Uh, there's uh, just so much mystery and so much beauty involved in the book of Revelation, and so we are excited to dig into that starting next Sunday. So I got saved when I was 18. I'd grown up in church my whole life. My parents had always took us to church, and uh, I was always glad for that in retrospect. I didn't love it at the time, especially as a teenager. I didn't want to be there. We were kind of dragged there. We weren't allowed an option. We didn't have a choice on whether to go or not. But my parents made us go, and I was grateful for it in retrospect because when I finally came to Jesus, I was surprised how much I knew already. I was surprised over the years of sitting in church and Sunday school and all of those things how much scripture had actually sunk in, that God was at work even though I didn't believe in him yet. And so it was a good thing. And when I came to Jesus at 18, I was surprised that I knew so much scripture and I had some understanding of things. I wasn't starting from scratch. But the night that I got saved, and I know I have shared this story here before, but the night that I got saved at 18... I was uh, just kind of living my life and minding my business, and Jesus was just not a thought. Uh, we were at church on Sundays, but it was just something you sort of had to go through, and you did it to make your parents happy. And so it was not something that was in any way affecting me or important to me or, or anything at all. Jesus was just a non-thought. I wasn't against him. I just honestly didn't think about him, period. And yet, one day, having a conversation with someone where they were talking about sin, a very devout believer talking about sin, uh, and not in an in-your-face kind of way. They were just talking about sin and what God had done for them and grace. And on that day, I felt like I was punched in the stomach. For the first time in my life, I became aware of what my sin was. And I had been, at that point, I'm sure, through hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of sermons and studies and, and you know, from the youngest of ages. Uh, and every Sunday in the Pentecostal church, you know, there's altar calls and there's a gospel presentation. And, and just over and over again, my whole life, I had heard this over and over and over again. And it just went right over my head. I wasn't interested. It didn't do anything. But in this conversation over dinner one day with a friend, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit was there and sin became very, very real. And I understood very, very clearly that I was not right with God, and that that was actually a, a scary prospect to not be right with a holy God. And so I went home from the dinner that night, and I was living at home with my parents at that point, and I went downstairs into the basement, and everyone else was asleep in the house, and I got down on my knees that day, and I said, Lord, I, I 
don't know what to pray, but I am sorry for what I have done, and I want to know you. And that was all I could think of to pray. I didn't have a sinner's prayer. I didn't have a Roman's road. I didn't have any of that stuff. I didn't have someone there to walk through it with me. But I just said, Lord, I, I am sorry for what I've done, and I want to know you. And I don't really know how to describe what happened next as anything other than God showed up in the room. And the language I know now is the Holy Spirit fell in power. I didn't know that was what it was at the time, but all of a sudden it just felt like God was there and it just felt like wave after wave of love and peace and joy were washing over me and all of that guilt and fear that I'd been carrying just a moment before just evaporated and I just sat there on my knees as just wave after wave of the glory of God washed over me. And I don't know how long it lasted, but that was it for me. I got up and it was just, it was night and day. It was black and white. Jesus wasn't a factor and all of a sudden Jesus is the only factor. Just like that. That was my born again, come to Jesus moment. And, and it was a good lesson to learn because it was actually kind of exciting to discover that the Holy Spirit is not bound by geography. I'd been in church a lot in my life and, and I didn't have those moments. And yet home by myself in the basement, I had a powerful encounter with God. And over the years, I've had many powerful encounters with God in church. And I've had many powerful encounters with God in small groups. I've had powerful encounters with God over the phone or over FaceTime, talking with a brother or sister in the Lord. Like, the Holy Spirit's not limited. The Holy Spirit is not bound by time and space. Even Jesus, the man on earth, was bound. He was bound to what one man could do. He was bound to one spot at a time. Jesus says to his disciples, it's actually good for me to leave because the Holy Spirit's going to come next. And the Holy Spirit's not going to be bound to geography the way Jesus was. The Holy Spirit can move anywhere, anytime. He's not bound up. And it started a journey for me in my walk with Jesus where it's just always been really important to connect with him in a way that is real. Not just going through religious motions and not just going through exercises, but that the presence of God is real. The Holy Spirit is real. The voice of God is real. And not just to uh, go through prayer as an exercise of asking for things, but to view prayer as a place where we get to encounter the living God. And I grew up in the Pentecostal church, and one of the things that Pentecostals actually do really well, uh, and I kind of miss, to be honest, is they, they will talk about coming to church on a Sunday morning or going into your devotional time with an attitude of expectation. You might hear that phrase. An attitude of expectation. And it, what they're really talking about is faith, is coming with the faith. Not just that I'm going to read through my Bible plan today and, and I might learn a thing or two, but that as we dig into God's word, there's a time and a place where we get to encounter God, where we get to be refilled with the Holy Spirit, or we get to actually engage with his presence, where we can actually engage with his peace and with his joy and with his love. And every time we come to church, whether we're here or whether we're at home, to come with an attitude of expectation that says, I get to meet with God this morning. And every time we come into the word and any time we go into a prayer time to say, I get to meet with God 
right now. I actually get to spend time with him. I actually get to be refilled with the Holy Spirit. I actually get to to just encounter his presence. And as I do, I get to encounter his peace and his joy and, and just the knowledge that I belong to him. And when it comes to prayer, we have our week of prayer coming up, which is why we wanted to talk about this this morning. Uh, when it comes to prayer, we, this isn't profound, pastors say this all the time, but we often make prayer a laundry list of stuff we're asking for. That's what we boil prayer down to. Prayer is asking God for things, and that is absolutely a part of what prayer is. We, we go, and then Scripture says you don't have because you don't ask. So God is the one we go to. He is the provider. He is the protector. He is the one we ask for things. When Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray, he said, make sure you're asking, give us this day our daily bread. Like, we are supposed to go to God for that stuff. But if we boil our relationship with God in prayer down to just those times when we ask for things— Uh, As is often said, none of us would love uh, a romantic relationship that was just about the other person asking us for things. No parent loves it if they don't ever hear from their kids unless they're asking for things. Like, that's one part of a relationship, but it's not the whole thing. And so for us to expand our view of what prayer is beyond just the asking, not losing that, but expanding our view of prayer beyond just the asking, to say prayer is where I commune with God. Prayer is where I spend time with God. Prayer is where I seek the Lord, and I seek his presence, and I seek the filling of the Spirit. So when we sit down with our Bibles in the right attitude, that becomes prayer time. And when we spend time in musical worship, that becomes prayer time. When we go out for a walk just to spend some time with the Lord, that can be prayer time. Silence can be prayer time. Meditation can be prayer time. It's not just about the asking for things. It's about spending time with him. Spending time in communion with him. And so that is where we're going today. And as we talk about prayer, uh, back in the fall, I had posted something online, and the gist of it was just seek the Lord right now, right? There's lots going on. It's a stressful time. Seek the Lord. Maybe we turn off our phones a little more. Maybe we leave the TV off a little more. Let's be seeking the Lord. Maybe if we were praying more, we would have more peace. Maybe if we were connecting with him, we would have more peace, And someone not from our church had commented on it and said, people always say stuff like that, but prayer, you know, prayer just so easily becomes a crutch for people who don't want to do anything. Prayer just becomes something people say that they're doing, but they don't ever want to take action. And there's an element to that that I agree with. Right? I'm not just praying for lost loved ones. We also have to talk about Jesus to them at the same time. We're not just praying about injustice. We actually sometimes might need to take a stand for justice. We might actually need to go and do some good. So if we're literally doing nothing but pray, then yes, it certainly can become something that becomes an excuse where we say we're praying but not doing anything else. But you know that verse in the Bible that says uh, prayer is a crutch and you actually have to do things on your own? Yeah, I don't either because it's not in there. That doesn't exist. And that's a little dangerously close to the idea of God helps those who help themselves, which is not at all a biblical idea. The biblical idea is we are helpless sinners in need of saving, and God is the Savior. We we can't do it ourselves. We need saving. So yes, of course, there is action that we need to do. We don't just pray for the lost. We have to proclaim the gospel. We don't just pray about justice. We actually go and do good and, and seek to be a force for good to let our light shine. Of course, there is righteous action required, but none of that matters if we are not praying. 
None of that matters if we're not seeking the Lord. None of that matters if we are not pressing into him and discerning his will so that we can be in step with him. James 5 says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. He says Elijah was a man just like us. Elijah was not a spiritual superhero. He was not especially holy or beyond us. Elijah was a man just like us. And he prayed, and the heavens were shut up for three years. And he prayed again, and God opened the heavens and poured down rain. Like, Elijah was a man just like us, and that's what his prayer accomplished. And it wasn't because Elijah had especially powerful prayers, but Elijah lived a life that sought the Lord. And what is the Lord's will? And what does God want to do? And as I get to know the Lord, and as I commune with the Lord, and I get that sense of his will, I begin to pray and do his will. And as I pray and do his will, those prayers are powerful and effective. So let's take a look at our text. We're in Psalm 91, as we talk about communing with God and drawing near to God. Psalm 91, we're going to do the first eight verses. I wish we had time to do all of it. You can read the rest on your own. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. There's lots more really good stuff in the rest of the psalm. We just didn't have time to do it all today, but this is a great one just to to meditate on. Uh, and a lot of us uh, have been leaning into the psalm in particular uh, over the last year. It has just felt, it felt especially poignant in the season that we are in. And there's a lot of really, really good stuff in there. And it brings a lot of peace and hope. It's one of those psalms that just is a good one to turn to when we're having a bad day, when we're feeling hopeless, when we're struggling. Psalm 91 is a good one. It'd be a good one to memorize if you're into memorizing scripture. And so Psalm 91 is, is a hopeful one for us today. But I just love the simplicity of it. Verse 1, whoever dwells in in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Again, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Doesn't that just sound refreshing? Oh, doesn't that just sound peaceful? That just to draw near to the Lord, just to, to breathe in this verse, to dwell in his shelter will rest, to rest in his shadow. Not just anyone's shadow. The shadow of the Almighty. The shadow of the one who's not worried about anything. The shadow of the one who is not scared of man, who is not scared of circumstances, who is not scared of illness. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And this picture of God through the Old Testament and through the New Testament as revealed in Christ that, uh, that just to draw near to him, to be close to him. My most common phrase spoken in the last little while has been stay close to the Lord. Stay close to him. That's where your peace is. That's where your joy is. That's where your security is. That's where your confidence comes from. And in prayer, whether it's asking for things, whether it's spending time in the word, whether it's worship, whether it's just sitting silently with him, all the different ways in which we can pray, the goal is the same. I'm drawing close to the Lord right now. 
And regardless of what's going on around me, the crazy circumstances that get listed in this passage about whether it's plague or or disease or war or whatever, whatever's going on in this world, the solution is to stay close to the Lord. Jesus would say it this, this way in Matthew 11, 28 through 30, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The flesh's yoke is heavy and burdensome. The world's yoke is heavy and burdensome. Some of the times, the reason that we are stressed out and we've lost our peace is because we have partnered with the world or we're spending too much time there and we're taking on a burden, a yoke that we were not supposed to take on. I remember at a previous church, I was uh, talking about Jesus and just how Jesus has revealed God to us in this approachable way. And a man came up to me after the service and he was mad. And I always say to people, don't be mad right after the service. Maybe you go sleep on it, and then we can have a conversation. But many, many times over the years, I'll be walking off the stage, and someone is beelining towards me, and they want to talk in that moment. And this guy was saying, everyone wants to make Jesus a hippie. Everyone just wants to make Jesus this guy who talks about love and just goes around, and he's just kind of this gentle guy. He goes, that's not the Jesus I see in Scripture. And so I pulled out the Bible and I turned to Matthew chapter 11 where Jesus says, I am gentle. And so when he's asking, where do you get the idea that Jesus is gentle? I get it from his words that he spoke with his own mouth. And that's not everything that he is, of course, but that is something that he says about himself. I am gentle. Some versions say, I am meek. And what the word meek means, it's someone who has strength but restrains it. So Jesus knew who he was, he knew what he could do, but he chose a gentler path as he walked this earth. Now we also, as we sang this morning, know Jesus isn't just lamb, he is also lion. Like there are other parts of who he is. But when Jesus walks the earth, he literally says, I am gentle. And he says, take my yoke upon you, take my burden upon you, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so if I'm feeling like life is heavy or problems are heavy or the world is heavy or the the circumstances are heavy, that's a pretty sure sign that I probably need to press into the Lord because there is something about his presence and walking with him where we know that even the heaviest of burdens are lighter when we are doing them with him. Even the toughest circumstances, we can find peace there when we are pressing into him. And so the the solution has always been the same. It hasn't changed since Psalm 91 through Jesus up to today. The solution to the struggles of life has always been make the Lord your shelter. Make the Lord your dwelling place. Make the Lord the one you are seeking. Draw close to him. Take his yoke. That has always been our solution. I had a professor uh, for one of my courses back when I was in school, and he taught a lot about inner healing. And and his whole philosophy was that uh, the prophets had said that the Messiah would come and bind up the brokenhearted. And so this man's ministry was to see that happen through the Word and through the Holy Spirit, where our inner wounds and our traumas and things can be healed by the power of God. And and it's just beautiful when that happens. And he was talking about uh, people will come to him and they'll say, you know, oh, like my marriage is falling apart, or oh, 
oh, I just, I'm in fear and anxiety all the time, or uh, I just can't get over these insecurities, I'm insecure, and I, I have a major feel, fear of failure, or I just, I'm angry all the time, and I'm just always carrying this anger, and it's just kind of seething underneath everything, I'm annoyed with everybody, always, and he just lets people pour out their hearts, and just lets them vent and, and get it all off their chest, and then he just asks them all the same question, aren't you tired of feeling that way? Aren't you tired of feeling that way? It's exhausting to carry anger. It's exhausting to carry fear. It's exhausting to journey through a, a challenging season in a marriage. It's exhausting to carry these things. It's, it's awful. And yet in the Psalms and in Jesus' words, the promise is there's rest here. There's peace here. There's joy here. So verse 2 says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress my God in whom I trust. He is where we find our security. He is where we find that. And, and in a world where things sometimes feel out of control, we will do lots of things to try and feel safe, to try and find that peace, to try and feel secure. And so we will sometimes say, hey, by my own efforts, by my own charisma, by my own hard work, I'm going to work hard and I'm going to get to a place where I have a good reputation and then I'm going to have some security there. Or I'm going to pour everything into this relationship. And when this relationship is there, I will find my joy there. And I will be happy there. I will finally make it. I will feel secure. I will feel at peace. Or if I could just get my finances into this particular place, if my money situation could just land here, then I will finally feel at peace. And then I will be secure. You know, if we can just get the right politicians in power, if we can get the political leaders that we like in place, then finally we will feel secure and we will feel safe, and none of those things are necessarily bad in themselves, but none of them will ever give you the security that you're looking for. Like, money's great until it's not there, and, and to find our security and our gifts and our talents are great, but they're not always going to work, and, and to find our security in a relationship, well, if that relationship struggles, then where does our security go? And to constantly be worried about who's in power and put all of our hope there, like there's, there's always going to be turnover. There's always going to be changes. And, and so we were never meant to look at any of those things to give us a sense of peace, to give us a sense of security. Psalm 146 verse 3 says, Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. Psalm 20 verse 7, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. 1 Peter 1, 24 and 25, he's quoting Isaiah. All people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. It's so easy to look at our circumstances and say, if our circumstances would only change, then I will feel at peace. Then I will finally be happy. Then I will finally be secure. But we were never supposed to look to those things for our security. We're not supposed to put our trust in princes. We are all looking, obviously, with great interest and, I'm sure, concern to our brothers and sisters in the south of us right now. And we need to be praying, of course, for the next while and just everything that could happen there, it's concerning. It's alarming, to be sure. And yet there are a world of even Christians living in America right now, and their whole universe has fallen apart because the guy that they wanted to win didn't win. 
But we were never supposed to put our trust in princes. We were never supposed to do that. And it's not that God doesn't sometimes work through princes, and it's not that God doesn't sometimes work through chariots or horses or people. It's not that people are not a part of the equation, but that was never where our attention was supposed to be. Princes will come and go, and and some will be great, and some will disappoint. Chariots and horses are fine, but we can't trust on them always. All people are like grass. The glory of people is like the flowers, and grass withers, and flowers fall. But the word of the Lord endures forever. God's word is where we get our security. His his presence, his person, him, his name, all of our security was always supposed to be there. We were always supposed to have our attention there. And then when we do, when we are rightly grounded there, when we are resting in the shadow of the Almighty, when we are secure with his yoke upon us, then it doesn't matter who the prince is. It doesn't matter what the chariots and horses are doing. It doesn't matter where our money's at or or what we're going through. None of that matters because peace is available there in his presence no matter what is going on around us. Verse 3 and 4 say, Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare, from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. And the, the psalmist, inspired by the Spirit, is just hammering home this imagery of, of safety and protection. That when God, God is our refuge, he is our fortress, he is our protector. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. And it's a picture, uh, actually, of a mother bird, even though it's a, it's a he language. But just, you know, if I went and tried to grab that chick right now, what's going to happen to my hand probably a whole bunch of times from this very obese hen that I found in a picture? When you're doing pictures online, you can only use the free ones, and the free ones limit your scope. So that's why the hen is so fat this morning. And, but isn't it a beautiful image? Like just this idea of a baby chick and, and mom just saying, you're safe. Like I'm, I'm not going to let anything harm you. You're safe here. You're protected. You don't need to worry. And I'm sure, you know, when Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden's light, like just to pay attention. What am I carrying that feels heavy right now? Because if it feels hard and it feels heavy, then maybe I'm not as close to him as I should be. Because his yoke is easy. His burden is light. Maybe I'm carrying something that I'm not supposed to be carrying. Because you know what? I actually have very little control over a global economy or over a federal election. Like, there's very little I can do other than pray. Like, to carry the burden, the weight of these things, that's just something we were never meant to do. That was a burden we were never meant to carry. And so God invites us to come in. Jesus would use the same imagery when he was lamenting over Jerusalem. And he would say, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I long to gather you to me as a hen gathers her chicks. Like I just longed for the people of God to come and and find their refuge in me. But at that point, he said, you are not willing. And so we stay close to the Lord. How do we do that? There's lots of different ways, and we've listed some of them already. There is a time, of course, where we do need to be praying and asking for things. That is part of it. So we pray for protection. We pray for provision. We pray for direction. We pray for God to lead us the way that we should go. But there's lots of ways that we can encounter the presence of God. There's lots of ways we can seek him. And we've talked here at the church before about what we are sometimes calling spiritual pathways, that actually not everybody necessarily engages with the Lord in the exact 
exact same way as everybody else. And so for some people, they feel really close to the Lord in worship, in musical worship. And for some people, it's in the study of the word. And for some people, it's through serving. And for some people, it's being alone and being quiet. And for some people, it's being with people and, and having conversations about spiritual things with people. For some people, it might be being out in creation. And there's just, there's endless ways in which we can encounter. And, and you probably know what some of yours are. And if you don't, my encouragement would be, well, try some stuff and see where you feel close to the Lord. But to actually carve out time in our lives where we say, hey, I'm actually going to spend some time in this. Jesus isn't going to get the drive-by scraps of my time. I'm actually going to make this a priority. I'm actually going to seek him diligently because the word of God says he rewards those who diligently seek him. And so you know probably what some of your things are. And as you've heard me say a hundred times, wherever you feel close to the Lord, whatever your meeting places are with him, whatever are the places where you feel his peace and his presence, where you feel refreshed, where you feel your faith stirred up, where you feel renewed, whatever that is for you, unapologetically go and find those places in your life. Rearrange your schedule a bit if you have to, but find a way to connect with God. Carve out a place to meet with him in your life. Verse 5 through 7, You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. Now we know, even biblically, that this is not always literally true. It's not to say that if we walk with the Lord, we're never going to have a problem. Uh, we know Job walked with the Lord, and he had some hardships. We know that different heroes of the Bible walk with the Lord. So it doesn't necessarily mean as we draw close to the Lord, we will never have a problem or, or we will never get sick. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that. But the first few words here are, you will not fear. You will not fear. And it always blows me away. You know what blows me away? You know what blows me away, guys? Believers walking through things like cancer or loss of a loved one or, or whatever the hardship may be. Believers who walk through that stuff. Because I just, uh, you know, we walk, we've walked with many people through these things over the years. And, and we've had our own struggles that we've walked through. And we can testify to this as well, that what you hear over and over and over again as the cancer diagnosis has come in or as the, the job has been lost or uh, as the, the scary circumstances right in front of us is people saying, it's not like you don't literally ever have a moment of fear or frustration or anything like that, but man, uh, there is peace there somehow, right? There is peace somehow in the midst of it. And Paul in Philippians 4 would talk about the peace that surpasses understanding, the peace that doesn't make sense, the peace that when the cancer diagnosis comes and you go, hey, on paper, that is just objectively a scary thing. And again, not that there's not scary moments in that journey for everybody. And yet, in the midst of all of it, people very consistently say things like, there's a weird peace here. Wow, I can actually feel people's prayers right now. I can actually feel the difference when people are praying. There are moments of, of God's presence that are, are showing up in this time. I, I heard a preacher talking uh, earlier, and he had had COVID and had a really bad case of it. And he's fine now. He has pulled through, but he was hospitalized and having a hard time. And he said, man, in that hospital bed, did God ever show up with me? 
Man, was there grace available to get through this thing? Man, did God ever do a deep work in my life through this? And so you will not fear. You won't fear the world around you when these things are happening. Philippians 4.4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And it's one of my favorite verses because they used to pay by the word when they were dictating scripture. And this was so important that Paul still felt the need to say it twice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And rejoice doesn't just mean worship. It means find joy in him. Find your joy in him. Find all of your peace, all of your security there. And worship becomes a powerful way to enter into his presence because the word of God says that we enter his gates with thanksgiving. We come into his courts with praise. The Lord inhabits the praises of his people. When we worship, God shows up. Rejoice in the Lord always. If nothing else, we find our joy in him. If we are in a place like the psalm is suggesting where there's literally, you know, plagues and pestilence and war and all of these terrifying things coming against us, we can still rejoice in the Lord. We say, hey, we're breathing. He made us. He crafted us. We're breathing. We have food to eat. We're getting through. We have a roof over our heads. We have clothes on our body. And if nothing else, Jesus Christ came and died for my sins. He didn't need to do that. But Jesus came and died for my sins and for your sins. Jesus came and rose from the dead to overcome our death. Jesus has promised, I will never leave you or forsake you. Surely I will be with you always until the very end of the age. And Jesus is coming back again to restore all things, to renew all things, to make all things new. And if nothing else, we can rejoice in that forever, for all eternity. We'd have reasons to sing his praises just for that, even if he never did anything else for us. So our security was always meant to be found in him. And prayer is the act of seeking him, of pressing into him, of carving out time for him. And I do think there is something right now, I've heard uh, many of you, like a number, and it seems to be increasing, have told me over the last couple of weeks, um, you know what, I'm just going to take a break from social media for a while. I just need to shut it off for a bit. Uh, others have said, I, you know what, I've had to take the news app off my phone, just the news, just it's addictive, you just keep going back to it, you want to know what's going on, and I just need to turn it off for a while, not forever, but just for a while, I just need to get a break, and, and it's funny, it's interesting that, you know, we know social media uh, has been incredibly divisive, obviously, in this time, and, and continues to be, and it's been disheartening for me. I feel like in the last year, uh, everything that the world divided over, the church divided over to. Just, and, and with the same name calling, we've talked about this already, the same divisiveness, the same dismissiveness. We sort of forgot that we were brothers and sisters in the Lord, and that's more important. And social media has become a big part of that. And the news media has become a big part of that. And more and more people are saying to me, and it's funny to hear it, but I went through the same journey, which was, you know, man, I... These, I just feel stressed out. I feel anxious or I feel angry. I feel frustrated. I feel annoyed all the time. And there's just this struggle. And yet, you know, all the stats about social media, these are true statistics. I looked at about 20 different studies and the range was most of us spend between two and three hours a day on social media. 
And it's not like you sit down and say from one till five is my social media time. It's that five minutes here, two minutes there, right? We're in line at the bank. You're waiting for someone's call. Like, it's just the, the five minutes here, 10 minutes there. And they've tracked it. And they say between two and three hours a day when you add it all up, when people are watching the news or reading news apps, it's about two hours a day that we spend plugging into the news. And news and social media can serve an important function, but we also need to acknowledge that that is the world, right? Those are worldly tools, and it's not that God can't do good things in them. But it's interesting that, you know, for spending two hours watching Fox News or we're spending a total of two to three hours on our Facebook and we're seeing all the, the paranoia and all the fear and the anxiety or the anger and the self-righteousness and all of the things that show up there as people are sharing stuff and people are saying, hey, I, I just, you know, it's hard to find time to read my Bible. <laughs> just hard to find time to pray. It's like, yeah, no, it's not. It's not hard at all. We're awake for 16-ish hours a day, where most of us are, are working either at home or at our jobs, but there's a lot to do, obviously. But with 16 hours a day, if we're spending two to three hours a day on social media and a couple, of day, a couple of hours a day engaging the news, there's plenty of time for the Bible. We're just choosing to spend our time on other things. We're just making that choice. So don't give me that, that there's no time. There is certainly time. We're just not choosing to follow that. But we spend this time engaging in the media of the world, the social media. I'm, I'm glad there's a waking up a little bit now. I think people are starting to realize, and we, we should have always known this, but going, hey, social media wants our money, right? They want our money, and the way they get our money is by getting us to come back over and over again. The news media wants our money. They, these are profit-driven corporations, and so they, they share the news in a way that hopefully gets us coming back over and over and over again. And there's a manipulation involved with algorithms in the social media and with the way that headlines get presented. There's a manipulation involved to get us back. And I think more and more people are waking up to that and saying, like, well, they're, they're playing us to a certain extent to get our money. Uh, that's just what's going on. But we spend this time in social media. That's not time we're spending in the Word or in prayer. We spend this time in the news, and that's not time we're spending in prayer and in the Word. And then believers are walking around going, why am I so anxious? Why am I so fearful? Right? Why am I annoyed all the time? Why am I just kind of feeling agitated? Why am I so angry? I mean, I'm spending two to three hours a day in a world full of manipulation and anger and fear and anxiety and despair. I'm spending two to three hours of my day there. Why am I walking around feeling all this heaviness and all this time? Well, I mean, do you want to hire a literal rocket scientist to try and crack the code? Right, whatever you're swimming in, you're going to carry. My parents uh, live up in Burlington, Ontario. Uh, they have a nice hot tub in the backyard. And so when we go, if it's, the weather's nice, you'll jump in the hot tub maybe. You'll spend 20, 30 minutes in there. When you get out of the hot tub, there's a smell to it, right? Hot tubs, there's chemicals to keep it clean, and pools are the same. And so if you go swimming in a pool for a while or you go in the hot tub for a while, when you come out, that smell sticks to you for a while, right? There's a smell to it, a chemically kind of clean smell. And it just sticks with you until you shower it off. And it's going to be the same anytime we engage with the world. It's just, it sticks. It sticks to us. And man, if we were to maybe not even shut it off, but... Scale down our news consumption. Scale down our social media stuff. Replace it with scripture. Replace it with worship. 
replace it with prayer? I mean, apparently, if we shut all of that off, we'll be freeing off hours a day, guys. I'm not kidding. And so the time is there. And if we were to replace those things, which probably aren't bringing out the godliest parts of who we are, and we were to place it with the word and prayer and worship and meditation and seeking him, which will bring out the godliest stuff, then maybe we'll have more peace. Maybe there will be more joy there. And it's funny, I got rid of Facebook about a month ago, and it surprised me and scared me actually a little bit. I deleted the app off my phone. And for probably about three weeks after that, without even thinking about it, I'd be in line at the bank or whatever, so you're going to wait 10 minutes, and just out of a reflex, phone comes out, thumb goes to an app that's not there anymore. Just not even thinking about it, right? Let's just kill some time, right? Just we're there. And just like muscle memory. Like just I kept reaching for Facebook, which wasn't there anymore. And it sort of was alarming. It was sort of like, oh, wow. So that's like really like drilled in here that when you have a spare moment, that's what you do. Or you click on the news site or you do whatever it is to, that you do to fill the time. But my suggestion, my proposal is that we, we need to, at the very least, be very wary of these things. And stop using the excuse we don't have time to pray or we don't have time to, to serve or we don't have time for our Bibles. We have lots of time, apparently, to do these other things. So we do have the time. And just be aware uh, that wherever we're giving our attention, wherever we're spending our time, whatever we're taking in, that's affecting us. It's affecting us. And there are good and godly things that we can take in that will bring us closer to the Lord. And then there's worldly things that are not going to bring us closer to the Lord. And maybe we need to reevaluate some stuff. Last verse, verse 8, we're just about done. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. It's interesting. There's a, a promise there um, that you actually aren't going to have to deal with it. You're not going to actually have to, to do it. God's going to do it. You'll observe it. God is the one who's going to do it. Romans 12, 19 through 21 says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And one of the downsides when we spend so much time in the world, of course, is we start looking like the world. We start talking like the world. We start thinking the world has great strategies for how to get things done. And so this doesn't mean we literally do nothing when we see injustice. It doesn't mean we literally do nothing when we see evil. But it's that when the church is at work, it looks very, very different than when the world is at work. When the world is at work, it is with rage, and it is with weapons, and it is with, with that sort of anger that we saw last week in the States. But James says, you know what? The anger of man doesn't produce the righteousness that God is looking for. And when we're angry, when we see evil, our job is to feed our hungry enemy, is to give a drink to our thirsty enemy. It's not to be overcome by evil, and it's not to participate in evil. It's not to fight fire with fire. It's to find a completely different way to take a stand. And it's to say, what is the good and biblical and godly way to make an impact in this world? To not be overcome by the evil that we see, but when we do see injustice, when we do see problems, when we do see things that we should take a stand for, our stand is going to look really different than the world's stand. It's just going to look different. There's going to be a Christ-like way that we do it that doesn't look like the way the world does. We are the church we are not the world, we are not the government, we are not the mob in the streets, we are the church. 
We're the church of Jesus Christ. We are the blood-bought who belong to him. And we are the followers of Jesus. And 1 John 2, 6 says, whoever claims to live in him is going to have to walk like he does. We're looking to walk the way Jesus walked. And so I don't have a solution for what that looks like in every possible situation, obviously. But it doesn't mean that we're silent. And that's often uh, how it kind of gets painted. Where Again, just pray and don't do anything. That's what Christians say. It's like, no, that's not it at all. Where there is evil that is there, we are obligated to take a stand. Where there is really injustice happening, we are obligated to do something. We have to stand up. We have to do something. But we need to remember that we are the church, and our weapons are not of this world. We don't fight the same way that the world does. And our battle primarily is not against flesh and blood. And so it's so easy to get angry at people. And yet we understand from Scripture that our battle, first and foremost, is spiritual. And it doesn't matter what action we take if the prayer part's not happening, if we're not fighting it in the spiritual first, if we're not going after powers and principalities in our prayer time, if we're not calling upon God first and foremost, if we're not saying, Lord, what is your strategy in order to step up to this injustice? Like, that is what the church does. And if we're spending all of our time swimming in the waters of the world, then the way the world does things is going to look really appealing. But that's not for us. We have a different way. Our call is different. And we are to look different. We are to be holy. If we are fighting exactly the same way the world does, we are by definition not holy. If we are just as divided as the world is, we are by definition in this area not holy. If we look just like them, we're not holy. To be holy is to be different. It is to be set apart for sacred purposes. It is to look different than the world around us. So this week, as we are kicking off 2021, we have our prayer week coming up. We always like to do this in January because we just feel like it's a good way to start the year. It's just a good way to uh, look ahead. And I know there's a certain part of a new year that's purely psychological and and probably even most importantly, uh, that's the main thing is that it's psychological because 2020's problems are are still here in 2021. And and yet there is something about the flipping of the calendar and the looking ahead to the freshness of a new year that, that helps us. There's something about it that seems to give us some hope as we move forward. So here's some homework for us this week. Number one, find a way to connect with us in prayer this week. Find a place to do that. Whether that's online, uh, you can sign up for one of the in-person things. We have limited space, obviously, because of our limits right now. Uh, But find a way to pray with your church family this week. Find a way to connect with us and engage with us in prayer this week. I'm going to challenge you as well uh, to pay very close attention to where the role that social media or the news media are playing in your life right now. And, and I, I mean, if you want to clock it in time, how much time you're spending, uh, you can do that. I don't know if that would be easy to do because it tends to be a few minutes here and there. But pay really close attention because a number of people have turned it off. Others have said, you know what, I've decided I'm going to check in once in the morning. I'll check in once in the evening and not at all during the day. I just want us to be aware of it because it is a concern. And I, I am concerned about it and just what it's doing to us in our walk with Jesus and what it's doing to us just as church in general, not just our church, but the church. So pay attention to what that looks like, and if necessary, turn it off, shut it down. If necessary, scale it back, turn off the TV from time to time, but don't just do that. Replace that time with the Word of God. Replace that time with worship. Replace that time with prayer. Replace that time with seeking Him. One more thing for your homework this week. Ready? Go to an unbeliever in your life, someone who doesn't know the Lord. Touch base, connect. And then just ask the question, how can I be praying for you? 
this week. Just open the door that you're a person of prayer. Open the door that you're available for prayer. And sometimes people get weird when I ask them that question if they don't know the Lord. But most of the time, they don't. Most of the time, even if they're weird for a minute, they'll say, well, you can pray for my family or something. And you're just planting a seed that you believe in God, you believe in prayer. And hey, if the door opens to share more, then you should share more. But I'd like everybody, find one person in your life who doesn't know the Lord and just open that door of prayer with them. And, and when they tell you what, they're gonna, what they could pray for, what you could pray for, um, then just say, great, I'll be praying for that this week. And now that door is open, that seed has been planted, and it's just, it's a good start. It's a good way to open up a door for spiritual dialogue down the road. Come on up, worship team. We're about ready to wrap up. We're going to move into the communion portion of the service today. So if you're at home, please grab your, your bread, your juice, whatever you have done to uh, pull this together. As always, we say, parents, you can decide uh, whether your kids are ready to join in communion or not. We don't have a set age here. We've decided that parents, you know your kids way better than we do, and so you should be the ones to make that call. But it felt appropriate to take communion today as opposed to last week. Last week, we wanted to just talk about how we're uh, moving forward in the season together. Today, uh, we're literally talking about communion, not just the, the spiritual sacrament, but we're talking about communion with God, that that is our, our calling in life. We are to be seekers of the Lord. We are to make him our top priority. We are to seek him and his righteousness and his kingdom. Before all other things, we are to put him first. If Jesus is Lord, it means he's boss. And if he's the boss, we want to know what the boss wants us to do. We want to know what he thinks. And so we have been talking about seeking the Lord, seeking his presence, finding our security there, finding our peace there, finding our joy there. In John chapter 6, Jesus unpacks some teaching about uh, the blood and the, the body, about the bread and the cup, about communion. And John 6 is a fun chapter to read, and you can read that this week if you like. Uh, so he's talking about communion to come, and it's a really hard word. And the Bible says that many of his disciples deserted him because Jesus starts saying, hey, if you want to follow me, you got to eat my body. You got to drink my blood. And that's alarming to hear someone talking that way for any context. That would be a strange thing to hear. And Jesus doesn't unpack the fullness of it there, but he just makes clear that this is the way, this is one of the ways that you participate in me. This is one of the ways that we are in union with one another, is that as you participate in the bread and the cup, we are in union together. We are one. You are in Christ as you do this. And there is something beautiful about the simplicity of it, that uh, as we take in food, food becomes a part of us for a little while, right? Our body inside goes to work and pulls out nutrients and, and does what it needs to do with the food. And that's part of this picture of union, that as we take in the bread, as we drink in the cup, that is as close as Christ is to us. That is as close as he is. He is there, and he is there all the time. And we need to cultivate that relationship that he is there and take time to nurture it and to learn how to engage with him and to learn how to hear his voice and sense his leading, to discern what he wants us to do, to learn from his word. But he is there. Jesus said, my father and I will come and we'll make our home inside you. 
And in communion, we are just brought back to that place that as we participate in the cup and in the bread, we are one with him. He is one with us. And we are reminded that Christ came and laid down his life for us at the cross. He came and shed his blood and let his body be broken. Even though he knew no sin, God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God that we might be declared innocent in God's sight, that we might have our sins washed away, which I felt so literally and beautifully all those years ago when I called out to the Lord for the first time in my life where our sins are wiped clean and we are welcomed home into relationship with God and into eternity with him forever. And if you're listening and you've never done that, you've never called out to the Lord, you've never made that choice, today can be that day. And it is just to say, I am a sinner in need of saving. And I believe Jesus is the one who saves. I'm going to put my trust in him and follow him. And, and then join us or any other Bible teaching church and come and walk and learn and, and grow in your journey with him. But Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. And at communion, as we come to the table, we remember that. So let's take a moment here. We do this every time we celebrate. Just to pause. And the scripture says a person should examine themselves before they participate at the communion table. And so we always say this is a great moment to confess any sin that you've got going on in your life, acknowledging that to the Lord, repenting of it. If you need to pray for someone, if you need to forgive someone, if you just want to sit silently uh, and just do some self-reflection, that is great as well. But we're going to encourage you now just to take a moment with us to pause, and then we will partake together. Let us examine ourselves as we come to the table this morning. what I received from the Lord, I also made known to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread, and giving thanks, he broke it, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. For you who are in Christ, receive his grace this morning. Let's eat together. the same manner after supper he took the cup saying this cup is my blood the blood of the new covenant do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me for whenever you eat this bread or drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns for you who are in Christ receive his grace again this morning let's drink together As we always say when we come to the table, there is nothing else we can do in response but be grateful and worship. And so as we come into our last song now, we'll encourage you to sing not just about God, not just singing to a screen, sing to him, rejoice in him this morning as we continue to celebrate him today.